Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, guys, today we're going to jump right in, um, and we've got a good topic. It's a topic that makes a whole lot of sense because today is December the 5th, uh, the day we're recording anyway. And so the question always comes up this time of year, uh, or I should rather say questions slash battles slash misinformation, all kind of stuff around whether or not. Christians should be celebrating Christmas. Um, is it Christ's mass? Uh, are Christmas trees pagan? Um, it, you know, w- what about all this stuff? And it's interesting because I do think um, it's a necessary conversation yes. just because there's so much information. You have um, Christians who are legitimately concerned who need the information. Um, You've also got, I think, because of a lot of wrong information, um, good-hearted people who's having their conscience bound in an ungodly, unbiblical way, uh, just because maybe they don't understand uh, what Scripture uh, gives us the freedom to do or not to do. And so it's a good conversation to have. Um, And... uh, well, I, I know where your stance is, Eki, because on Twitter I see your little Christmas town. Not only yep, my are you sanctified okay, Christmas village. Yeah. Not only are you okay with that, but you have Godzilla uh, running through the streets. And so Yeah, that's a must. That's a must. So um a new spin on on a Christmas town. I never really even thought about doing little Christmas town decorations until maybe did you have that last year or I had it up last year, and that was the for us. That was the first time we had any kind of Christmas decorations inside. Well, once I saw Godzilla in it, I was like, "Okay, now I need to do this." Thing. <laughs> um, and so I just need to convince my wife now. Uh, but anyway, so it's a good question. I want to start um, by appealing to Charles Spurgeon, and I'm doing this because um, a lot of the arguments don't have so much to do with scripture as they do uh, people trying to appeal to others, which is nothing more than just finding a person with your same opinion in history who was respectable and saying, see, they felt the same way I do. It's a bad argument, by the way. Um, But Spurgeon on December the 24th in 1854, let me just read this short paragraph, um, preached this from the pulpit. He Uh, At least this was part of it. He says, now a happy Christmas to you all, and it will be a happy Christmas if you have God with you. I shall say nothing today against festivities on this great birthday of Christ. We will tomorrow think of Christ's birthday. We shall be obliged to it, I'm sure. However sturdily we may hold to our rough Puritanism. And so let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Do not feast as if you wish to keep the festivals of Bacchus. Do not live tomorrow as if you adored some heathen divinity. Feast, Christians, feast. You have a right to feast. Go to the house of feasting tomorrow. Celebrate your Savior's birth. Do not be ashamed to be glad. You have a right to be happy. 
Solomon says, go thy way, eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white and let thy head lack no ointment. Religion was never designed to make your pleasures less. Recollect that your master ate butter and honey. Go your way, rejoice tomorrow, be in your feasting. Think of the man in Bethlehem. Let him have a place in your heart. Give him the glory. Think of the virgin who conceived him. But think most of all of the man born, the child given. I finish again by saying a happy Christmas to you all. That was Spurgeon in 1854. Now, I use Spurgeon because almost 20 years later, Spurgeon almost contradicts himself. He changed his view. And if I'm not mistaken, after 71, he doesn't do this again. Um, his tone changes. I'm not going to read the, the whole paragraph here, but he basically starts by saying we have no super. He, he says we have no superstitious regard for times and seasons. Certainly, we do not believe in the present ecclesiastical arrangement called Christmas. First, we do not believe in the mass at all, but abhor it, whether it be said or sung in Latin or English. And even goes on to basically kind of bash the celebration. But what's interesting is 20 years later, after he's changed his view about Christmas, he still ends that same sermon with these words. He says, nevertheless, since the current of men's thoughts is led this way just now, I see no evil in the current itself. I shall launch the bark of our discourse upon that stream and make use of the fact which I shall neither justify nor condemn by endeavoring to lead your thoughts in the same direction, since it is lawful and even laudable to meditate upon the incarnation of the Lord upon any day in the year. It cannot be in the power of other men's superstitions to render such a meditation improper for today. Regard not the day. Let us nevertheless give God Thanks for the gift of his dear son. And so even 20 years later, when Spurgeon basically demolishes the idea of Christmas and attaches it to the Roman, uh, Roman Catholic mass, at the very end, he still acknowledges that he can find no sin in Christians taking the day to remember Christ. Interesting thoughts. Have you heard those quotes before? What What are your thoughts about that? No, that's that's the uh, that's the first time, and uh, I think there's there is um, balance that we have to take to this. I think there um, are things that we need to be mindful of. I mean, for instance, the fact that we call it Christmas, we look around and we see a world that really does not celebrate Christ, but really turns it into gifts, uh, selfishness, shopping. It's a uh, it's a money making. Yeah, Santa Claus and and Santa Claus is given the attributes of God. He knows everything about you and and uh, he's going to reward you or, or punish you based upon that um so th there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of activities that are certainly secular and um, they are certainly pagan but they're not pagan in the same way that people are bringing the kinds of accusations of Christmas being about the worship of many false idols so I think we we do have to carefully think through every every activity, every kind of participation that we take when it comes to this kind of season and ask ourselves, is this something that can glorify God? <clears throat> and I think absolutely for the Christian, yes, there is a way they can celebrate Christmas uh, glorifying God, and there's a way they can celebrate it while looking worldly. And so I think it comes down to just being very intentional about your decisions and, and recognizing 
um, what is a faithful testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ and what is not. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I think everyone would agree um, that we need to consider how, and just as you've said, how we're engaging and what things we're engaging in. Um, it, you know, it, it was interesting. Um, I, I was listening one preacher comment on Christmas this morning from a sermon years ago. And, you know, he makes some comments about Santa Claus. And I, I think that would be one area where you know, lying to your children should never be acceptable. Um, and, and I, even if it's emotional, right? Um, and so I think I would agree with that particular preacher's commentary in that, in some sense, um, the idea of Santa Claus is um, helpless um, and, um, sorry, harmless, not helpless. Uh, but in another sense, um, you know, building a, a whole kind of holiday around some fictional fat man who thrives on milk and cookies is probably not a good idea to engage in. And, and so even I would encourage parents, you know, to from a young age, however you want to do it, don't start training your children by lying to them about an, an imaginary being. Um, and there's various ways you can do that growing up, up, up in a culture that, um, that that does acknowledge that. But I think the more important question, uh, because Santa Claus often doesn't come up in in these you know more serious kind of debates, it's more yeah. about the pagan practice behind it. And so I, I thought it's very interesting um, because if you do some research and try to find out what the scholars think, both secular and religious, and 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 religious, it's interesting because when you think about September twenty uh, December. December 25th um, being uh, the result of what used to be a Roman pagan festival, or if you even go back before that, and how Christians effectively just put something on top of that. And so everything we do in Christmas is pagan in its origin. Well, that's interesting because scholars actually don't agree that that's true. And that, I think, is incredibly important. We're talking about real scholars who have uh, dug into the history looking to see genuinely what the origins were of December 25th being Christmas. And so you've got all these scholars. Um, some believe that it started in lieu of the pagan festivals, and they go back to Roman times, and they try to talk about uh, the um, festivals that happened at the time. But then you have other scholars equally on the other side who believe that it actually came from uh, church fathers who, for reasons, believe that Jesus was conceived around March the 25th. Um, they believe that that was, coincides with his death. And then, of course, if you do the math nine months later, it'd be December 25th. And so that's why we celebrate December 25th. And so you have genuine scholars who argue both of these things, which is important for us because it tells us that we actually don't know. Um, it, it, you cannot honestly uh, point to December the 25th and say, this is because of this. The 25th, December the 25th being Christmas is because of a pagan holiday. I, I don't think we have enough information to honestly be able to say that dogmatically. Um, and we also, I don't think, can point to the early church fathers um, and try to make it a Christianized thing because we don't have enough uh, information to do that either. And so a lot of the problems 
today, I think just come from people trying to make things that can't be dogmatic, dogmatic. Yeah, it's, um, again, again, at the end of the day, what difference does this make in terms of our walk and, and how we are reflecting Christ to the world? You know, I, I actually don't, you know, when it comes to December 25th, and I do remember there was one documentary called Star of Bethlehem where they make an argument from um, uh, astrology or astronomy. I can't remember which one is uh, is the the study of, but one of those two fields that that December 25th may actually be, be that date. Um, either way, I, I don't think of December 25th as the day that we celebrate Jesus' birthday. Instead, I think we take the occasion to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ was made into flesh, that that he became not just, he, he's been God for all eternity, but he became God incarnate. And uh, and we use this this time to remember um, that beautiful fact. And without the incarnation, we have no salvation. So w- when we start to get into the debates of where did it come from and, and all that, and in some ways, it almost doesn't really matter. And I say it for this reason, because if, if you celebrate Christmas in the sense of, you know, you're singing Christmas carols, which you know those those Christmas hymns that we sing have great and rich theology, right? Like "Oh Holy Night," just read through those yeah. lyrics, yeah. and it's amazing how many how many um, unsaved people will sing that, not recognizing what they're proclaiming by singing that song. It's an amazing song that's very specifically exalting the, the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you take part in this holiday by singing songs that glorify God, by giving thanks for Him being made incarnate. <clears throat> And not by turning it into just this kind of um, money-making, selfish, me, me, me extravaganza, then I I just don't see how this becomes an issue. Even I I saw um, someone shared a meme where he had showed this meme, this picture of a Christmas tree and all the various elements of the Christmas tree that trace back to pagan worship. And he said, okay, this traces back to this God, this traces back to this God, this traces back to this God. That might be true, but no one, no one, and I mean no one, um, today partakes in that, thinking about those gods or having any recognition of those gods. And in the case of having a tree in your house, we're talking about something that was created by God himself. Trees are part of God's creation. And celebrating scenes of trees and and snow and, and then just decorating the tree with lights, with the white background— it's a beautiful sight. And it has nothing to do with a false god. It has, it has nothing to do with any kind of affinity towards a false god. So I, I believe that even, even when you try to think through, okay, which view is right, which view it isn't, and I think you're making a good argument that we simply just don't know, but, but even if you could trace it back that way, I don't think the current practice, um, I, I don't think you can make the argument that the current practice is us worshiping false gods that no one knows about. Yeah, and I think that's really the second point, right? The first point is we don't know, and so you can't make an argument from that. And the second point would be, is it actually idolatry? So there's this big thing, and it's growing, um, where essentially the idea is if if it started as a pagan thing or it has pagan ties, if you do the same thing or a similar thing or use the same symbols they used, uh, even if it's in a different way, then you're actually in sin because you're performing a pagan ritual. At least that's kind of the feel, but I think you really kind of hit the nail on the head. The point is, if you're not worshiping something, it's not an idol. An idol is only an idol 
when it's worshipped, right? Yeah. If it's worshipped. So you could literally make an idol out of bookshelves, right? Yeah. Carve some nice things into it, turn it into an idol, a false god, worship it. Um, then it becomes an idol. Well, so are we to say that we can't make things out of wood because idols are made of wood? I, I mean, that really is the logic you would have to use. We can, yeah. can we not bring uh, uh, can we not bring evergreen trees into our home because pagans brought evergreen trees into their home? Well, the difference is, you know, some of them worship those trees as symbolic for various things, and I don't. It's just a green, pretty tree. You know, um, and yeah, and so it's interesting. We're going to get into some scripture verses because I think I, I, I hope that they'll free up the consciences of some and maybe put a damper on um, really what is, you know, a form of legalistic uh, tendencies yeah. on others. But consistency matters. So I thought what would be really unique is if um, I just did kind of a cursory search on all the things we do in Western society that originated in pagan practice. Um, because if you're going to make an argument for not having a Christmas tree or not celebrating during the Christmas season, the birth of Christ, um, then you have to be consistent. Otherwise, you're an ignorant hypocrite. Um, and, and so I think that would just make a point here. So let me just read through a few of these. I, I didn't even realize some of these I, I knew of. Some of them I, I didn't realize until I looked up. They're very interesting. Um, of course, we know the days of the week and the days of the month are named after pagan gods. And so yeah. if you acknowledge Monday as Monday, then you're yeah. you're joining in with a pagan practice. Um, if you think that this month is December, well, you're joining in with a pagan practice. Um, and it's it's even more uh, clear if you look at the Latin names for the days and years. Um, and yeah. of course, the Spanish names would more coincide with the Latin. So if you're going to be consistent and say that having a Christmas tree is pagan, therefore Christians shouldn't do it, then you should not be operating on the calendar days and months that we currently use. Try, try, see how that goes over with your boss at work uh, <laughs> tomorrow. Um, so just one interesting thing, because it, if it's true biblical doctrine, true theology, then you have to be able to apply it consistently. Covering your mouth when you yawn. Now, this was an interesting one. This is a pagan practice. Romans determined that yawning allowed a person's essence, their life force, to escape their body. So in order to prevent your life force from leaving your body and causing an untimely death, they developed the practice of covering your mouth when you yawn. So if you cover your mouth when you yawn, you're engaging in what was once a pagan practice. Bridesmaids. I, let yeah, me, let me just interrupt real quick. There must be a lot of pagan practice going on when I'm preaching. That's all I'll say. <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> bridesmaids. Here's another one. Um, the, the custom came from the idea that evil spirits would attack brides. And so mm. by having bridesmaids and having them all look similar to the bride, the idea is that it would trick any evil spirit that was trying to attack the bride and instead might go after one of the bridesmaids. So your bridesmaids are actually just bait for evil spirits. Wow. 
That's not wow. the only thing in the in the wedding ceremony that is pagan in practice originally. The veil. The veil was worn originally mm. to try to hide the face from evil spirits, specifically. Flowers. Mm. The, the bride held flowers to cover up her human scent. Again, to try to throw off uh, the, the attack of the evil spirits. The ring was placed on the ring finger, specifically the fourth finger, because it was a sign of sealing the deal. And it was thought that there was a vein in that finger connected to the heart. Wow. I'm sure there are probably some other, others around uh, that's, the, the wedding ceremony, but there's just a few. Yeah, and that's uh, that that's that's quite a list. Um, and and it's it's it is indeed something worth thinking about. I mean, I, I I've um, I've officiated weddings. Um, I'm sure you have as well. But uh, in officiating weddings, you know, when you think about the, the the wedding court, can it become idolatrous? Yeah, it can become idolatrous. And I've seen weddings where you know all the arrangements do become an idol. Um, to the uh, to to the bride and groom, usually the bride. Um, but you know what I tell people when they get married: the the only thing that's required, really, is me as the officiant, um, you you two as the as the bride and groom, and witnesses. That that's really what what it comes down to. And <clears throat> everything else, I tell the bride and groom, it's up to you. Um, yeah. What songs you want sung, you know, whether you want a wedding court, how many people you want there, that's really up to you because this is just a celebration of a covenant that you're making to God. And and yeah. so this is where you can do it one way; it's not a sin. You can do it another way; it's not a sin. And regardless of where it kind of originated from, unless there's a false god being brought into it that you're worshiping, then uh, again, um, it, it's just not an issue. Now, some might point out the practice of yoga, right? So yes. I, I am not; I do not believe that Christians ought to practice yoga. And so someone might say, well, wait a second, that's a double standard, right? You're, you're saying Christmas yeah. is okay, but yoga is not. And I think a mature Christian could do yoga as long as they're not engaging in, in idolatry. I think that's possible. I think the problem is that the positions that you take on in yoga were actually developed um, in, in the in, in order to worship specific gods. And the positions you you take in yoga are not natural positions, most of them, right? So, I mean, the, these are positions that were specifically devised in order to worship different gods in the Hindu religion. And, and not only that, but the practice of yoga often is accompanied with background music uh, that is very spiritual, um, this idea of meditation, which is very much against the Christian meditation. And then at the end of the day, the benefits of yoga, which is really stretching and relaxing, can be done in so many other ways aside from just following a practice of yoga. And and yoga in today's society, Eastern mysticism has becoming a big deal in our culture. Um, there's a lot of people that are chasing after Eastern mysticism, becoming mystics and and Buddhists and Kabbalah and, and all those kinds of uh, different kinds of, um, of religions. I think Kabbalah is actually an offshoot of Judaism. But anyway, there's there's a lot of mysticism coming in. And so I think this is a very real threat, different from Christmas, where people can decorate a Christmas tree, once again, a tree that is a that that is basically a, a natural part of God's creation and and just decorating it in a way that makes it looks beautiful without any knowledge at all of any of the false gods who are there and without any threat of current practices uh, where those those false religions exist today. So I, I do believe that there is a that there is an equivocation error error when people say, well, 
you celebrate Christmas, but you don't, but you say that people shouldn't do yoga. That's a, that's a double standard. Well, no, that's a false equivocation for those reasons. Yeah. And, and I think when I think about yoga, um, I, I might have a slightly different take on it than, than you. Although I would agree that if you're doing what is actually considered yoga, that's not something Christians can, can, should do. Um, I, I might make the argument that if you are simply taking, I, I believe you can engage in some of the stretching techniques without it being actually yoga. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and so it, it's kind of a difference between are you, because it, yoga is supposed to be a form of meditation. So if you aren't using the background music, if you aren't engaging in um, some of the core tenets that make yoga, then you're not technically practicing yoga. Um, and and but um, if you are engaging in those, then, yeah, I think that's a bad thing for Christians. So yeah. um, if you take a few of just the stretches and you're just using them on uh, on your own, you're not engaging in the meditation. You're not um, trying to use the music as a form of yeah meditative kind of relaxation. Uh, then I wouldn't have a problem necessarily with adopting some of the stretches, but then I wouldn't consider that yoga. So right. I probably right. on the same page there. Um, I want to give one more common pagan practice, by the way, um, celebrating birthdays with candles yeah. mm -hmm. and just celebrating birthdays. Yeah. Um, in fact, let me appeal to origin, uh, early church father of Alexandria. Um, you know, he lived in the early 200s. Um, he actually mocks Roman celebrations of birth dismissing them as pagan practices. So if you celebrate yeah. your birthday every year, you're engaging in a pagan practice. But not only mm. that, candles on a birthday cake um, on uh, were specifically used and designed for one purpose, one candle for each year um, with the hopes that it would ward off evil spirits and call to you good spirits. And they would place an additional candle on the cake um, in hopes that the coming year would be a good year. So the use of candles on birthday cakes were specifically used for warding off and calling spirits to yourself. Um, and, and so I, I say all those things to say this, because I don't have a problem with, with any, uh, I don't have a problem with bridesmaids at weddings or wearing a, a wedding band. I, I have my wedding band on. Um, you know, uh, brides having flowers, um, why? Well, because we don't have bridesmaids to ward off evil spirits. Uh, the bride isn't holding a bouquet to yeah. cover her scent from an evil spirit. We aren't wearing wedding rings because we think that there's a vein that connects that to our heart and somehow it creates this mystical covenantal yeah. bond. Uh, we don't put birthday candles on cakes because we're trying to attract a good spirits. Um, but if you're going to argue that having a Christmas tree or engaging in the worship of Christ during what may have been the same time period as a pagan festival, then you have to be consistent and get rid of everything that has pagan origins. Yeah. And I, this is only right. just scratching the surface, by the way. You could not actually survive if you did that. Um, for starters, what do you do with clothing? Clothing was a result of the fall. You know, you know, no one's well, I can't say no one's running around arguing for no clothing, uh, but no one with any sense in their head. Um, and, and so if you can't 
if you can't live consistently with the doctrine, then your doctrine's wrong. Um, and I think in this case, a lot of the confusion is actually coming from well-meaning people, right? People who, you know, like when we talk about yoga, um, they, they would probably be in agreement and, and argue similar, similarly, um, well-meaning, but maybe they just don't have all their facts and maybe they just haven't thought through the ramifications of what they're teaching well. Um, you know, we don't, on our tree, uh, we don't hang the little balls. I saw that same um, flip floating around. I think I saw it on Facebook maybe of, uh, you know, the the little balls represent this God and the tinsel represents that God or whatever. Um, we don't use the little balls in our tree, but it's just because I don't like them. I have never in my life since I was a child ever thought of a God uh, when we were hanging, when my parents were hanging up those little balls or the lights or whatever it was. And so, um, yeah, I, I just don't think we can bind people's conscience to one, something that's historically ignorant because you can't prove that Christmas was in fact um, just put in place of the pagan festival. There were lots of pagan festivals, lots of pagan festivals yeah, and rituals. Right. Um, and undoubtedly, there were pagan festivals and rituals going on when the Jews had their um, instituted festivals and such. Yeah. And so, you know, you just can't make that argument that if it's going on at the same in the same time period. And in fact, uh, the Roman festival, which the name slips my mind just at the moment, but it was an extended festival over quite a long period of time. Um, and it. It may or may not have, you know, even been on December the 25th. Um, so we just don't have enough information to even make a case for that. And without that, most of the argument goes away. But then when you think about all these other pagan things we do, um, you know, uh, you, you just can't be consistent with it. And so either you have to be content with being hypocritical and just picking and choosing uh, with no standard or you have to acknowledge, okay, you know, maybe there's something else here. Maybe we can't actually be dogmatic. Now, I want to move on to some scripture verses that are used against Christmas, and because I think those are important to deal with. Um, but we should also just say this: look, um, it's a conscience, a conscience issue, right? And so, yeah. if um, I would never say anything ill about someone who said, you know what, we're uncomfortable with Christmas trees in our house because uh, we don't want to give any kind of place for the idea of the, the the secular Western idea of what happens at Christmas. So we don't want to do a Christmas tree. We don't do Santa Claus. We're not doing any of that. It, you know what? My, my only question would be, um, are you biblically informed, right? Are you making decision, understanding scripture? Are you making the decision, understanding that you can't um, bring that to bear on anyone else? Um, and you're you're not using it as a weapon against anyone else. And so if you just say, you know what, in my own conscience, I'm uncomfortable doing this, so we're not going to do it as a family, praise God, that's fine. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, you just can't tell others they're in sin if they do. Um, and then I think you just have to go through the challenge of how do you raise your kids in a way that they don't become judgmental of others in their freedom. Um, and so it comes with its own challenges, but I think it's okay yeah. if you make that decision for your family. Um, 
I want to jump into a couple verses and uh, have you walk us through some of this. Uh, I'm going to go to Jeremiah 10 first. Um, Jeremiah 10, 1 through 4 uh, gets brought up a lot, specifically with the Christmas tree. Um, let, let me read the passage and then, Eki, we'll just have you talk to us about what's really going on here. Um, so the passage is this, uh, Jeremiah 10, 1 through 4. Hear the words which Yahweh speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says Yahweh, do not learn the way of the nations and do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. For the statutes of the peoples are vanity because it is cut. It is wood cut from the forest, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, craftsmen with a cutting tool. They make it beautiful with silver and with gold. They strengthen it with nails and with hammers so that it will not potter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot take a step. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. And so I've seen this floating around um, saying, see, Christmas trees. We're not supposed to do what the nations do. They're cutting these trees. They're decorating them. Clearly, this is Christmas trees. What's going on here? What should we understand about this passage? Yeah, it's um, it, it's a silly accusation. I mean, looking at verses three and four by itself, for the customs of the people are delusion because it is wood cut from the forest, the work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool they decorated with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not totter. Certainly, that does sound a lot like what we do in Christmas. Okay, I, well, let, let's get that out of the way. Let's Let's be honest with what that looks like. That looks like it describes what we're what we do for Christmas. Is we get Christmas trees that are chopped down, uh, we set them up in a way that they don't totter. We decorate it with ornaments that are of these colors, silver, gold, and and other colors. So certainly it looks like that. Um, the problem here is that in context, that's not what it's talking about because Christmas did not exist. Jesus Christ had not yet been born. All right. Now, the principle goes back to verse two, do not learn the way of the nations. So people can say, well, yeah, but Christmas is the way of the nations and we're following the way of the nations. Well, the reason why we don't want to learn the way of the nations immediately follows. Do not be terrified by the signs of the heaven, although the nations are terrified by them. And then jumping down to verse five, um, like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they, they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them for they can do no harm, nor they can do any good. So obviously, whatever is being described here in Jeremiah's day was a very pagan practice meant to honor their false gods. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it was often done out of fear, out of fear of whatever signs they were seeing in the heaven. Maybe it was hail, maybe it was rain. I don't know. I'd have to do more study into the context here. But they were operating out of fear, out of, of, of gods that um, had no power because there is no other, other god aside from the true god. Um, and, and other parts of the Old Testament talks about how idols are really just pieces of wood that, uh, again, they cannot speak, they, they don't respond, there's nothing that they can do. So we, you can't just look at what the people are doing without looking also at the motivation behind why they're doing it. And that is what we are not to learn. Don't do these things with the same motivation that these guys do these things. But again, cutting the trees, um, creating beauty. Look, we are we have been given dominion of this earth. God, we are we are God's ambassadors upon this earth, and we are called to enjoy His good creation. And so, there's nothing wrong with verses three and four by themselves if it's not motivated 
by this fear of false gods or this desire to worship yeah. false gods, which is exactly the point of verses two and four. Uh, sorry, two and five, which come yeah. right before and right after three and four. Yeah, exactly. I I mean, it's interesting. I mean, this is the problem with. I mean, this is this the same. Uh, eisegesis kind of thing where you get your David slaying the Goliath of your taxes, right? Um, I mean, you make a good point. Christ hadn't even come yet. Obviously, it's not talking about the Christmas tree, um, but it, it's a reference. You know, you go down to Jeremiah chapter 14. It's kind of all throughout Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah 14, 22 says, are there any among the idols of the nations who give rain or can yeah. the heavens give showers? Is it not you, O Yahweh, our God? And so the whole point here is that they are fashioning idols out of these things. And so, yes, if you are cutting down a Christmas tree and you are saying, you know what, man, we are going to worship this tree. This is our God. Uh, we're going to worship it in hopes that it's we're going to get blessings in the, in the spring for our harvest or whatever it is, and you're decorating it. Um, as a as a false god, then yeah, that that would fit in line with the principle of this passage. But if that's not what you're doing, um, then, then you know, then then it doesn't count. And so the the issue is idols here. And in fact, um, just about every passage that is used uh, to kind of say celebrating Christmas decoration, celebrating Christmas or using decorations. Almost every one of them is taken out of context because they're speaking about idols. And so let's just no. talk about what an idol is or isn't quickly. Um, it, an idol has to be an object of worship for it to yep. be an idol, right? Right. Uh, and that just really makes it simple. Are you worshiping that pencil? Are you worshiping that tree? Um, probably not, you know. Uh, are, are there some people who do that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, there definitely is a resurgence of true paganism. Um, but Christians aren't doing that. It, you know, it's just pretty and it's what we do this time of year. It's decorative. And so, um, let, let's go to another one that comes up. Uh, yeah, I've got a few here. Kings, first Kings 12, um, 25 through 33. Let me read this for us. Uh, then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill city of Ephraim and lived there, and he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people will go up to offer sacrifices in the house of Yahweh at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two golden calves. And he said to them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and he put one in the heart of Dan. This thing became sin for the people knew, for the people who went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made houses on high places and made priests from all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. And he goes on and he makes a feast of the eighth month and the 15th day of the month. And I've I've seen a few people refer to this kind of talking about um, sinful born festivals. And then they'll say, see, uh, these things are tied to pagan things. Uh, clearly, Jeroboam was in sin here. This is an awkward passage to even try to finagle in Christmas. But the point is still the same. He makes literally two golden idols. 
and says, yeah. here is your God. Um, it, it, you know, and so you that's just, the issue. that's the issue, right? He's, he's making gods. I mean, this is the same thing that Aaron did, right? Uh, with the golden calf. Uh, that was the problem. You know, here's yeah. your God, Israel, worship these things. So it's another passage that's strange. Um, Deuteronomy is an, uh, let's see, do we do Deuteronomy? Uh, Deuteronomy is another one. Deuteronomy 12, 29. Uh, when Yahweh, your God cuts you off before the nations, which you are going in to dispose and disposes them and inhabits their land, beware lest you be ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed before you, and lest you inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods that I also may do likewise? You shall not do thus towards Yahweh your God, for every abominable act which Yahweh hates they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I am commanding you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away from it. So guys will refer to this passage to say, look, if you're doing those things pagans have done, you're following after pagan nations in practice. I mean, clearly God's forbidding that. I mean, just talk to us about this passage in principle for a minute. Why or why not could we use this passage? Well, again, um, the the issue is that they're turning after false gods. And you don't just stop here at Deuteronomy. You look at the testimony of the entire Old Testament. The first five books of Moses laid the foundation for exactly why Israel was under God's judgment, that they were exiled from the nations, and why there ended up being 400 years of silence following the final book of the Old Testament. But <clears throat> that's not to say that we're any better than Israel. Israel is just an example to us of what we are, all, what we all are, which is essentially idolaters. But when you look at the Old Testament, what was it that they were doing? They weren't just chopping up trees and enjoying God's creation. What they were doing is they, they were literally following false gods. They were literally worshiping false gods. They're creating high places so they could worship. And some of this, I think, is just a failure to understand what worship really is. Okay, yeah. worship is is offering your, your praise to God, right? Our lives are to be lived out as an act of worship, but it's giving thanks to God. It's giving praise to God. It's seeking to to lift him up, exalt him, exalt his son, exalt his word. And and when you think about, for instance, all these different places, you know, the the example of Jeroboam, I'm going to go back to that one just a moment, uh, for just a moment. But Jeroboam, his motivation was that, hey, Jerusalem is too far away. So here, I'm going to create two golden calves and just go ahead and worship these uh, two golden calves rather than going all the way to Jerusalem for this is God. Well, that was sinful, but then much later in Israel's history was the creation of synagogues. And what happened in synagogues? Well, synagogues were for people that were scattered in different places, and they couldn't they couldn't practically go to Jerusalem every single week to be able to worship God, so they would meet in synagogues. And these synagogues themselves were not sinful. It was the fact that the people were not truly honoring God. Uh, Jesus Christ himself worshiped in synagogues. Right, and what did they do in the synagogue? They came together. They praised God. They read from God's word. So, so the idea that you know, when you think about Jeroboam's motivation, the idea that people shouldn't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem but worship in a different place—that wasn't the issue. It was creating the golden calf, and the golden calf led them to worship of false, false gods and false idols. And this is the case here. And again, going back to the Christmas trees, the idols that were the, the false gods that were originally in mind when people created kind of these customs or at least according to this memes that are flowing about, 
those idols are dead. And, and I don't I don't mean in a biblical sense, we all, all idols are dead, but they're dead in the sense that they they have no life in the society. No one is worshiping uh, those false gods, except maybe, maybe an extreme fringe, maybe 0.0001% of the population. So th- these these passages just don't, they, they don't cohere with what's going on today. And it comes down to who are you truly worshiping? And mm-hmm. let me point this out too. People love the natural world. The natural world, world is beautiful. Mm-hmm. A lot of pagan worship is stem from the natural beauty that God has created. So pagan worship, though, ends up turning the object into their God rather than worshiping the creator. That's described in Romans chapter one, right? And yeah. and so we we recognize that there is a difference between someone who looks at a beautiful tree in awe of God's glory. And I'm not talking merely about Christmas trees, but you, you may look at nature and be in awe of God's glory and, and his, his creation as revealed, whereas someone else may be similarly in awe but they're in sin because they're not worshiping the creator, but rather they're worshiping the creation. What I'm trying to say is that the object that's in front of us by itself does not make it sinful. It's your motivation and where are you directing the glory to? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just as you were talking about that, I was thinking about India, right? Uh, they have cows and there's a certain sect of, you know, uh, religion that worships cows. So if we have cows here in the West, is that sinful because people worship cows in other places? Well, no, that's silly. I, I, they love cows and I love cows. I just love to eat them. Um, and so it's an entirely different thing. Uh, and it's a good point because it, here, the problem in all of these passages, again, is effectively the exact same problem. It's the worshiping of something. Um, you made a good point. And maybe that's the whole problem with this debate is we just don't understand worship anymore. Um, but I, I want to, in the few minutes we have left, I, I want to take this to uh, new to the new Testament because Paul, it's almost like God would knew we, God knew we would have these kind of silly arguments. Paul addresses this exact thing in principle in first Corinthians. Um, and what's interesting about Paul's address here is it would be the equivalent if we still lived in a society where, in fact, everyone was still worshiping Christmas trees or trees, if this time of year we lived in yeah. a society where everyone's going to the market and they're buying trees, cutting them down, and they're making idols out of them and they're putting them in their homes and they're actually bowing down in worship to them, this is kind of the context in which Paul is writing this. And so it's quite remarkable. Um, 10, you get down to. Well, this whole chapter here, Paul's talking about whether or not to eat meat from idols in the marketplace. It's obviously an issue in the church or he wouldn't be dealing with it. You get down to verse 25 and he says this, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's as well as its fullness If any one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that's set before you without asking question for conscience sake. So I want to keep going in the passage here, but let me just bring out the context is he's talking about meat that has been offered to idols in the marketplace and then being sold. And he's saying, yeah, eat it. And even if an unbeliever invites you into their house, you know, it's probably been uh, offered up to idols. Yeah, go ahead and eat it. 
verse 21, he starts putting some parameters around. He says, but if anyone says to you, this meat is consecrated to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. So you get invited to a pagan's house. You know, they've sacrificed that to their false gods, but they say nothing. And it's just a meal. Your conscience is clear. It means nothing eating. But if they say to you, this has been sacrificed to so-and-so, then for the sake of their conscience and yours, don't eat it because you would be acknowledging their sacrifice as being valid, basically, that that's what he's teaching here. Um, and then he goes on to say, I do not mean for your own conscience, but the other person's. No, oh, oh no. yeah. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with gratefulness, why am I slandered? For concerning that which I give thanks. I mean, this is this is a rebuke, yeah. I think, to those today who are saying what they're saying about those who would put a yeah. Christmas tree. Right. You're actually slandering someone else for the freedom they have um, mm -hmm. for what they're giving thanks. And then he goes on to say, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I post uh uh, this verse every single day in a shortened form format, and it's in the context of speaking about food sacrificed to idols. Yeah. You know, um, you can't get, I think, any more clear than Paul here in a context where that is what's going on. You're going to a marketplace where they've sacrificed uh, these meats to idols, and then they're selling it, and Christians are concerned about whether they're engaged in a pagan practice. Obviously, there's concern. And Paul's saying, what is it to us? Don't ask. You know, just go buy the yeah. meat and be free because it, it's meaningless. And even if a pagan ask, invites you over to their house and you know the meat's been offered up, but they say nothing, you have freedom. Eat it. It's no problem. Only when, you know, it comes up, hey, we're doing this as a sacrifice, then do you decline. Yeah. And and even and even then you're declining for the sake of their conscience. And yep. I think what Paul's teaching here is putting weight behind um the fact that we don't worship false gods because yep. he says, I'm free. And he says he's free because he realizes that idols are dead. Uh, but for the sake of their conscience and others, you you wouldn't partake. So if I walk into someone's house and they have a Christmas tree, whatever, it's no big deal. If I walk into someone's house and they say, okay, before, you know, we're here, here's our idol. We worship the God of whatever, and this tree represents them. Well, then I'm probably just going to leave. <laughs> um, but nobody does that in our context today. I, I mean, what, what are your, speak to this? What are your thoughts? Because I think this passage should really grant Christians liberty in this area. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the fact that Paul even says, eat it, um, if no one mentions anything, shows you that the eating of it is not the sin, right? And even when they mention it, um, you're declining for that person's conscience. And what he means by that is you don't want that person to think that you're engaging in the same worship that they're engaging in. And so that's that's really the key. And that's all that's all this comes down to. It's who are you worshiping? And and God has given us all things for us to enjoy, right? I mean, you, you look at the book of Ecclesiastes and how it ends. I mean, at the end of the day, um, enjoy what God has given you, but but fear the Lord and obey his commandments, right? God's creation surrounds us and we are to enjoy it um, and, and to enjoy it in a way that gives glory to him, recognizing he is the one that provides all good and perfect things from up above. 
don't uh, don't turn into legalists that start to turn every single symbol and every single sign. And you know, talking about the Christmas tree and all those uh, those false gods that are supposedly worshipped by the Christmas tree. If if those religions were still here today, if they were prevalent in our culture, and then people were actively worshiping them, and those symbols were very clearly symbols that that people associated with those false gods, then I would say absolutely stay away from Christmas trees. Don't don't put up a Christmas tree. Don't engage in these practices because they're all around us, and and people associate that very specifically with false gods. Today they don't. Those those images are dead. Those pictures are dead. No one puts that up, as you mentioned. No one puts that up with the name of false gods and worship and all that. So, uh, again, at the end of the day, worship the Lord in all that you do, and, and be sure that you are not a stumbling block to someone else to worship a false god. Yeah, amen. Well, I hope this has been helpful for you guys. There's liberty in celebrating Christ on whatever day you want to, um, and it, in our cultural context in a time where the majority of our society, even the unbelievers, have attached Christmas to Christ. They they may not serve Christ, they may reject it, but, but they see it, they expect it, they think about it. This is why there were attacks on how we labeled the, the word Christmas and, and all of that. But be free to take it as an opportunity once a year, an additional opportunity to just focus on you know, the fact that God sent a Savior um, who was born of a virgin and to celebrate all of Jesus's coming and his life and his death and his resurrection. What what a glorious thing. Why wouldn't we want to celebrate that? And anytime our society gives us more freedom and liberty in society to do that openly, by all means, do it. Um, you know, don't let your conscience be bound by ignorance and you know, dogmatic teachings that in in reality can't be dogmatic because we don't even have the evidence of these things. So mm. hope that this grants some of you liberty. I hope that this tempers some of you um, and that it's been helpful. So don't forget, we'd love for you to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find all that information below. We'd love to get emails and hear what God's doing in your life if he's used our podcast uh, for good. Uh, we'd love to share in your testimonies. And until next time. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.